Hey, Lighthouse Niagara family, this is Pastor Joel Sloss. I hope that the message you received today blesses you so, so much. The, uh, the worship team, the last song they played during the worship set, one of some of the lyrics were, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Children are dismissed. <laughs> Children are dismissed. When I cannot stand, I will fall on you. I want you to remember those lyrics, those words, as we dive into the word this morning. But before we do, I have to greet you as I always do. Good morning, Lighthouse Church family. So I say good morning, and even though my wife has had Christmas music playing in my household since mid-November, now, with the Advent season upon us, I can officially begin wishing you a Merry Christmas season. But to those who are not as fanatical as my wife, who begins to celebrate the Christmas season in mid-November, now that December has arrived and snow has begun to sporadically lace our streets and and the songs on the radio have resumed, the ever-waging war between Michael Bublé and Mariah Carey for Christmas album supremacy, we know that the season is upon us. But as facetious as I may be in regard to the way in which we choose to celebrate the Christmas season, I must admit I enjoy many of the things that correlate with the Christmas season beginning, as, as does my wife. It seems to me that I associate the time uh, of, of the Christmas season with spending time with family, with breaking bread and having good food, with giving gifts to one another, and with candlelight services at church. And... As I, I, as, as I recognize those things, I begin to, to, to discern, well, there's nothing necessarily sinful about any of those things. It is good that we should spend time with our families, that we would break bread together. Giving gifts is an awfully nice way to show someone you care about them. And there was always a warm feeling I would get as a child when we would dim the lights at my, my childhood church uh, and, and that we would light these, these Advent candles uh, a, a practice that we did at my old church. And so when Pastor Dave asked if I'd be willing to preach a three-week sermon series between mid-November and to December, whatever time I chose, I knew it would be a very special thing for me to do something akin to the candlelight services I grew up attending and adoring as a child. And so when I approached Pastor Dave with this idea, he warned me to be hesitant in maybe using a different term than Advent or, or, or to perhaps ditch the candles and just stick to the subjects that, that Advent represented, and I had no idea why. You see, as a child, I never had a question of why we bothered to light the candles around Christmas time, and the way we often remember that, that Christmas is not about the gifts or the food or even the time with family, it is not that we think that the lighting of candles is sinful. The same way that giving gifts and breaking bread are good, it is not about asking ourselves, what is the reason for the season, and why do we do the things that we do? Especially around this time when distractions and things can cloud our perception of what Christmas is truly about. A boy in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, and why it is so significant that 2,000 years later, we gather to hear about the hope, peace, joy, and love that rested in the manger that faithful night in Bethlehem. That is why you see no candles lying in a wreath before me, no matches to light them, and why I have entitled this sermon series, Deconstructing Advent. 
When I asked Pastor Dave what his hesitation was toward the candlelit Advent services I loved attending as a little boy, he told me that it was a predominantly Catholic practice, which I had no idea. And as I researched, I found out that what he said was true. That it was originally a Catholic practice developed to, as a ritual practice to begin the church's liturgical year. And it was later adopted by German Lutherans in the 19th century and has since made its way into mainline evangelical churches. Now, is there anything intrinsically wrong with a ritual or a practice that comes from tradition? No. No, in fact, we today will be partaking in communion, a tradition that was passed down by Jesus himself in order to bring remembrance of his sacrifice upon the cross and to consecrate our hearts and to reflect upon the love of our Savior. The same can be said for baptism. So if traditions and rituals are not intrinsically sinful, why do the stools beside me sit barren of a wreath? Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Other translations say not all things are beneficial. Indeed, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. As such, it is not possible for Christians, or is it not possible for Christians to do Christmas without the lights, without the gifts, without the food, even possibly without family, and still be joyful? To still find hope, peace, joy, and love in the midst of this season? I certainly hope so. Because for many like me, we enjoy the gifts, we enjoy the food, we enjoy the time around the tree with family, but that cannot become what Christmas is to us. You will have heard this said from a pulpit before, and I will say it again. Christmas is not a time of happiness for everyone. For some, they cannot afford the gifts to give their children that the rest of the boys and girls on this playground brag about. And that can bring shame. For others, the food in the pantry has grown thin, or they lack the strength to eat it, being restricted in their diet. And for many Christmas takes on a new meaning as we attempt to pick up the pieces of what Christmas can still be and what it will look like without a loved one recently lost. If Christmas is only represented in what we have, then when those things are lost, all hope falls away. But at the heart of the candles that we will not light, at the root of the title of deconstructing Advent, we will explore why Christmas contained to a flaming wick, melting away at some, uh, some wax or a ritual practice not found in Scripture. Instead, we will attempt to get to the heart of why this practice represents the themes of what the Christmas season really means when we do away with all the noise, what we can truly cling to. For that is the first would-be candle that we will tackle today. That would be the hope candle that will not be lit a ritual practice that has become ubiquitous with the Lenten season of a church we do not belong to, what we will instead explore this morning is why we do what we do. And more accurately, why I loved what I loved about a ritual practice as a boy that I did not understand. To find the principle of what we can cling to without the need for candles or gifts or lights or turkeys or even a big, jolly, white, bearded man climbing down our chimneys 
We can recognize that there are parts of Christmas we can enjoy without having to partake in, knowing once and for all the meaning still remains Christmas for each and every one truly can be about hope. The Advent season is a time of preparation for our hearts and our minds in the anniversary of our Lord's birth on Christmas. At its root, the heart of Advent is what we believers agree is good and valuable. The wreath and candles are full of symbolism tied to biblical themes. That Christmas represents what we look to, what the coming of Jesus meant. The wreath itself, which is made of various evergreens, signifies continuous life. The, the circle of the wreath, which has no beginning or end, symbolizes the eternity of God and the everlasting life we find in Christ. And each candle carries with it a theme to be explored or meditated upon as we place ourselves in the shoes, or perhaps rather the sandals, of the Jewish people eagerly awaiting the boy Jesus, who for our purposes today represented great hope. Without the need for a candle or a wreath of pine, we can still accomplish the same exploration. We can still accomplish the same meditation into something more biblically grounded. That when we partake in tradition or practices in our faith, it should always be biblical. God commands that we be be baptized so we faithfully proclaim our faith in dying to the old man and being reborn of the water and of the spirit. He commands that we partake in communion, that as often as we break bread and drink of the cup, We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we look to scripture, we see no lighting of an Advent wreath, and yet we find the commands to place our hope in Jesus. And so that is what we will cling to today. In fact, in exploring scripture, it is mostly the Old Testament that speaks about this hope. And so we will explore the hope of the ancient Jewish people eagerly hoping in the Messiah something that was commanded of them. The Old Testament has often been likened by readers or scholars as something entitled the Messianic hope. That at the heart of the Old Testament is the expectation that God will send a unique king associated with the Davidic covenant and his dynasty who will bring God's blessing to the nations of the world. And significantly, he will sacrifice his life to atone for the sins of others. If we look to the Old Testament beginning in the book of Genesis, the Old Testament, God intimates his plan to redeem the world from the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience, which will center upon one of Eve's descendants, the covenant of life, plagued by the fall of man into sin. This is God's first promise. But as we see God's plan to redeem this initial sin, God proclaims that he would send a deliverer who will overthrow God's enemy, the serpent, identified as Satan. This hope is subsequently linked to the covenant then made to Abraham, father of the Jewish people, a promise given to Abraham with the expectation that one of his descendants will be a ruler, a king, through whom all the nations will be blessed. And the path forward towards the fulfillment of these promises eventually leads to this Davidic dynasty I mentioned earlier and another covenantal promise made to him that through David and his descendants, God establishes Jerusalem as his holy city where he dwells among his people and he makes a promise that David's descendant would build a temple to God and a kingdom that would last forever. And when subsequent kings 
Davidic kings fail to trust God fully. Various prophets then predict that God will rise up a righteous Davidic king whose reign will be characterized by justice, peace, and unlike his descendant, Solomon, wise as he was, uh, was, who was insufficient to build a temple worthy of God's dwelling eternally and a kingdom that would last forever, this new king will represent hope. Finally, among these various prophets, there comes one called Isaiah who would write this prophecy that I will read. That the Jewish people who clung to uh, these, these promises, these covenants, and these, now these prophecies, they clung to them in hope that one day they will find hope in this as well. Isaiah 53, the prophecy of hope for a faithless Israel, insufficient to atone to their own sins. God promises to send another. Let us read of Isaiah 53 together. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom the people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers are silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and thought he, and thought he Lord, makes life, his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. And therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered and numbered with the, the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Hallelujah. This is the pivotal word of hope. That throughout all the covenantal promises, throughout all the messianic prophecies, the Jews had something, finally an object of hope, to wait upon this son of man who would be crushed, burdened, afflicted for their iniquities, that they would be made right that there would be intercession for their transgressions. And yet the title for today's message is not the messianic hope, but rather I have titled today's message, Turning Hope into Faith. 
For what is the relationship between hope and faith, and what does this have to do with Christmas, the birth of Christ? The word translated to our understanding of what that word hope means in Scripture is used 130 times, and more than half of them are found in the Old Testament. Now, the word faith is used 175 times, not including derivatives such as faithful or faithfulness. Does anyone here know how many times in the Old Testament the word faith is found? Show of hands. Who who would like to wager a guess this morning? I'll tell you. Oh, Andrew. Right, I'm working from the ESV translation. The word that we now translate to faith as in to place your faith into something in the Old Testament is used twice. The word of faith as it pertains to a verb, thusly placing your faith in something, is used in the Old Testament just twice. Now they use words such as believe. They use the word trust in quite often. And certainly New Testament passages such as Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 4.16-25, they use these words interchangeably, faith and believe in. But in both of these passage, passages, both make specific reference to what you are believing upon or placing your faith in, which is to say that we as believers believe, place our faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the promised Messiah, what is the relationship between hope and faith, you ask? Well, that word hope is one of the three main elements of Christian character, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. If that reference sounds familiar, it is because it is a central passage for our vision statement this year, that we would increase in faith, hope, and love. This, this year is now drawing to a close, but even as we wind down this year, Entering into the Christmas season, I promise you, we can still increase in the three characters found in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, especially now in the Christmas season. Faith, hope, and love. Now, we will get to love in a matter of weeks, as that is one of the Advent candles that we will not light, but rather deconstruct. But today we must return to this verb of hope, the first week of Advent, which is joined together with faith in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Both of which are used in a connotation of being oppressed or, or seeing, or, or, or sorry, both are used in a connotation of being opposed to seeing or possessing. Hope and faith are opposed to seeing or possessing. For how can you hope for something you already have? Or how can you place in your faith in something that has already been evidenced before your eyes? After all, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It is the moment of recognizing that there may be a chair in front of you, but not being assured that it will hold your weight. Only once you have placed your weight in the chair Can you demonstrate that you have faith in something that was not known to you before? Hope, however, is longing for a chair so that you can finally get off your weary legs and place your weight upon something sufficient to hold the weight of your weariness and your insufficiency. Do you see what I'm getting at? 
Have I spelt it out in bold enough letters? I'm not attempting to be inconspicuous here. I want the message to come across loud and clear. The reason why hope is used so often in the Old Testament, but faith is used just twice, directly correlates to the relationship between hope and faith. I don't place my hope in Jesus. I place my faith in him. That in the manger laid a boy that had so much hope placed in him that when they saw him, they were like weary men, finally finding their chair, the son of man they'd been waiting for. A boy who had been prophesied about for generations, hoped and believed for, finally actualized in the flesh for only a few lucky eyes to see for these, these shepherds, the magi, for Mary and Joseph who were given a covenantal promise of their own. The boy was the realization of so much hope. But like weary men finding a chair, a question still remains and still remains for us. What is there to hope, what is there to live for? What is there to hope in? You see, for many, the Christmas season represents hope, even to those in the world. In fact, even to the Jewish believer in ancient Israel, you can place 100% of your hope in a, in, in a Messiah and never come to faith. Many did not. Hope is in what is yet to come. Faith belongs to those that would believe in what was to follow after he arrives. How can I then say even the unbeliever can find hope in the Christmas season? Well, certainly we see and recognize, some of, as some of us once were, before we laid our claim to faith, hope is representative of longing, a clinging, a hanging on to a belief that there could be more to all of this. I hope, I hope, I hope. That in the Christmas season, I urge you not to lose hope, but to be moved from hope to faith. That as we draw nearer to Christmas, when you will perhaps gather with family, perhaps you will put up decorations, enjoy a festive meal, and there will be many gifts exchanged. I urge you to receive the greatest gift of all. The gift of salvation, which was foretold by Isaiah, promised to Eve, to Abraham, King David, and finally to his mother Mary. A boy who would be born on, on this fateful day over 2,000 years ago, halfway across the globe, in a tiny town called Bethlehem, not in a throne room, not in any place fit for a king or lord, but in a manger surrounded by sheep, laying in layers of hay, and somehow I tell you the truth, something so insignificant as a boy born in, in the lowest of places, halfway across the globe 2,000 years ago, it means the same thing today as it did then. Hope has arrived. And for if you place your faith in it, your life will never be the same. It is true what is written about him. See for yourself the accounts are there. This man they call Jesus was there in Israel 2,000 years ago. He lived and he died by the cross. The Romans kept good account of that part. And, the, and his disciples made sure they would keep good account of his life and his ministry, that all who hear about him would know that a way had been made to move from hope in a baby boy to faith in a man upon a cross. As it is written in John 3, 16 to 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, the Old Testament talks a lot about belief. You got to place your belief somewhere. You got to place your faith in him, the only begotten son of God. This son who was born on Christmas Day, and although we celebrated about three months too late, according to some scholars who believed it was around the time of, of Tishrei, which in the Jewish calendar is about mid-September, the truth remains here about our examination of hope found in baby Jesus. And I hope that you will be moved to faith in him as we recognize our own weariness. The day that you choose to, to celebrate Christmas doesn't matter but the day that you choose to believe in that baby Jesus and the man who, who then stood upon the cross does matter. And I hope that you will make that day today. Just as the weary man hopes for rest, I know many here today are also longing for something. And I'm not referring to the wish list that you would send your loved ones on what you'd like to receive under the tree in your house. What you have been requiring what is it that your soul has been yearning for without your recognition? Or maybe you have already realized it, but you now understand that you've been looking for it in all the wrong places. Each of us have shortcomings in this life, and each will be faced with lack. To one you may be longing for validation, to hear that someone near to your heart is proud of you, but you know that you uh, but know that you do not need to live up to a certain standard to earn the love and pride of your heavenly Father. For what reason did the Jewish people have hope in a Messiah to save them? He needed to save them from their own sin. Woefully insufficient to the standard of the law that said, if you are good enough, then you will please God. But no one could do it. And so God sent Jesus, and in turn, the only gift of any true value is the gift of grace. That you may enter into loving relationship with God the Father, free of sin and guilt, rid of shame and longing. For if you believe upon Jesus, confess it and live for him when you reach heaven's gates, you can hear, you can long to hear the word of Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and now enter into the joy of your master. The validation you may be seeking does not come in this world. It is found in the only thing that satisfies, the only water that quenches your thirst that you will never thirst again. Hope must become faith. Or maybe this uh, Christmas season you will experience and are experiencing grief. Christmas will not look the way it did in the past following the loss of your loved one. God says to you, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In this you may find that God cares for your loss and desires to restore the broken hearted. That in spite of the difference in the way Christmas looks around a tree, the message of hope remains that Jesus is your only comfort. For in him you and your loved ones must be found if there is a hope to be reunited again. And to those that are lost eternally, God's heart grieves more than yours ever will. And he longs that you and those who are still with us will not be lost also. And so the answer repeats, hope 
must become faith. To those who are experiencing trials, tribulations, that in hard times, Scripture tells us, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. If you are prepared to humble yourself and say, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the answers. I need to bring them to Jesus and let him resolve that which has been plaguing me. Whether that be troubles in your marriage, battling your own demons of, of habitual sin, or whether it is outside influences such as battles with your health, finances, depressions, anxieties, whatever you are facing, the answer still yet repeats, hope must become faith. Stop hoping that something is going to change for the better. The answer is not coming right around the corner. It's presented there before you. Stop longing in your weariness. Stop battling and failing again and again and again. The mountain will continue to be unscaled. The woes of this life are insurmountable. Weary man, but before you lies a chair. You don't have to keep hoping for something to come along. Just for a moment, I beg you, place your faith in Jesus and say, I don't have all the answers. And I don't know everything there is to know about who you are or what the Bible says about you yet. But if you are real, then reveal yourself to me so that I can finally stop carrying all this weight and finally now place it upon you and rest. Enter into his rest. Enter into his peace. Forgive me what I have made it about something else. Forgive me for looking in all the wrong directions. Forgive me for the rituals I practice not knowing why and lighting candles when all I needed was to come to the point of all of this. Where have I placed my hope? Not just the point of Christmas, but the point of my existence. For the reason, not just behind the season, but of all creation, the object of my hope has been sitting there all along waiting for me to finally surrender to faith and wow. Has it changed everything? My weights are gone. My burdens are gone. What is it you're carrying today? What is it that needs resolving? What rituals have you been doing out of habit or obligation? Or because you feel you should? God doesn't care about all that. It's the whole reason he sent his son. It's the reason he was made to fulfill the law because for, God, for goodness sake, God loves you. And he doesn't want you to keep walking around with all that weight, hoping for a respite. He sent his son to finish all of that. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I'm going to read that second part again. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Of the law. In this verse, we are being called to love one another as Jesus first loved us when he was sent in love for us, for you and I. That God loves you so much, he sent his son to bear your weights, to take away the pain, to take away the suffering, to keep you from bondage, from being a slave to sin, but also being a slave to the law, which will both condemn you to fail and to say, Stop 
hoping, have a little faith in my son who I already sent and watch where he will take you. And what is the fulfillment of this law? Why does Jesus need to fulfill the law of the Old Testament? To be the answer to, a, uh, to why a Jewish people 2,000 years ago could not follow a list of rules set out for them. To many here, that feeling of inadequacy, the weight that you are bearing is called the law. The commands of God to his people which showed their insufficiency. You want to be good enough to earn God's favor, Many believe that good people go to heaven. It's a lie from the devil to keep you weighed down in empty hope. Because newsflash, you will never be good enough in your own strength. The Jewish people tried for 2,000 years and failed again and again and again. But if that's the bad news, if that newsflash is the bad news, that you will never be good enough, that the headline of this newsflash reads... Good news, dear brother, you don't have to be. You don't have to be good enough. Dear sister, God made a way when he sent that boy Jesus, the Son of Man, prophesied to suffer for our sin, his only begotten Son, who willingly chose the cross because it also meant choosing you. Christ died so that you didn't have to keep hoping, so that you could take all that weight, all that baggage, all the hardships, your sickness, your sin, your divorce, your abuse, every hardship, every heartache, every loss. You take it and you cast it upon him because he cares for you, says 1 Peter 5.7. Because the fact of the matter is you will try with all your might to be good enough to earn God's favor and you will fail. And until you place your faith in Jesus, nothing is going to turn around. And if it does, I promise you it will not last. But as you place your faith in Jesus, the weight is removed. I've seen people miraculously healed. That weight not put on a chair, a wooden chair, but on that wooden cross that stands behind me. As you place your your weights upon the cross, as you place your sin and your sickness upon the cross... I've seen people miraculously healed, that weight being put upon the cross. The prophecy of the Son of Man who would die for our sin also states in Isaiah 53, 5, the passage I read earlier, by his stripes we were also healed. I have seen marriages saved from the place of hatred. The love of God restores man and wife as it is written of marriage for what God has joined together. Let no man separate. Mark 10, 9. But I am telling you that as you believe in Jesus, you will never suffer again. Or sorry, when I, but I'm not telling you that if you believe in Jesus, you will never suffer again. God promises that we may suffer in this life. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. Being a Christian is not a one-way ticket to, to be free of suffering. For each will face suffering in this life, but let me tell you the hope. Let me tell you what you are placing your faith in. There will be trials and tribulations, but he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We will come to talk about Jesus, the peace of the world, in a number of weeks as we break down the meaning of Advent or the expectation of the coming Christ, but let me give you the foreshadowing. While you may have trials and while you may suffer, Be anxious over nothing, 
Do not be anxious over anything, but by prayer and supplication, you will let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. As you pray continually, as you submit in humility to say, I don't need to carry this weight myself any longer. As you cast your cares upon him, you won't have the same fear that comes from empty hope. You won't have the anxiousness that comes from empty hope. You will have perfect peace that surpasses all understanding, and he will guard your heart and mind of all your worries. And in your faith, you will have the object of your hope, which is no longer a chair, but a cross. Rather, no, sorry, it is not the object of a a chair or a cross that you place your faith in. I don't want you to place your faith upon a wooden cross that stood 2,000 years ago. I want you to place your faith in a risen Jesus who is still alive today. It's why we do not depict the cross with Jesus still on it. We know where he is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. The message of hope is this, that you have been searching, longing, or even you may have known the answer all along, but the moment you are ready to say, Jesus, I place my faith in you this Christmas. Take away the sin. Take away my guilt. Take away my shame, this condemnation I have placed upon myself by believing I needed to be good enough. The weights I have carried trying to solve them on my own. Whatever you need to surrender to the Lord. Something that has frustrated your ability to hope any longer. The moment you say, Jesus, I place my faith in you. Those frustrations fall away. The worries, the anxieties, they fall away. He will answer you. And you were were right in what you formerly believed. That in stripping everything else away and looking only upon Jesus this Christmas, your Christmas will never be the same again in the most joyous way imaginable. And that is what we will close with today, but before I, I, I close, I want to pray a prayer. I would, I would appreciate it if, if those who have prayed this prayer before would join me. That for those who are ready to say that, Jesus, I place my faith in you this Christmas. I'm tired of the empty hope. I want to place my faith in something that does not fall away. That we would share and and partake in this prayer known as the sinner's prayer, which is the acceptance of the salvation, the grace, uh, the gift of grace that comes only from Jesus Christ and him crucified. That we would pray that prayer together. And so, let us pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I believe that you died upon a cross for my sin and I accept that gift of perfect salvation that I am I have made trespasses in my sin that need forgiveness and so I profess them to you longing that you would be Lord of my life save me from all iniquity and uh, present a, a path of hope before me. Something to place my faith in. And be Lord of my life every day until eternity. 
pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're now going to transition to a time of communion, uh, and I will uh, welcome Pastor Dave up to the front. If you've said this prayer for the first time, please come and let myself know, or Pastor Dave know, or someone around you, someone who is a believer who will encourage you in your faith in, in taking the next steps, for it is so valuable and important. God bless you, each and every one. Hey Lighthouse family, thanks so much for tuning in to another one of our podcast sermons. I'm Pastor Joel Sloss. For more podcasts, media, and live stream services at lighthouseniagara.com, Sundays at 10 o'clock. God bless.